how should Christians respond when they are going through suffering? Let's talk about that today on The Midweek Move. the Mimic Move podcast extension of The Healing Place. This is the podcast where we examine scriptures line by line, verse by verse, ask ourselves what is happening in these passages. Today, uh, Pastor Scott and I are going to be continuing our journey through 1 Peter uh, with a uh, interesting conversation about suffering. And uh, just like we said last week, uh, do not take these out of context. There's a lot that's taking place and everything builds upon each other. Uh, last week, we, we tackled a uh, a, a pretty serious topic, how husbands and wives should respond to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and that was in context of how we as Christians as a whole should respond to authority, period. Yep. And what that looks like. Not just good authority, but maybe some negative authority. And today, we're, we're getting into an interesting conversation about how all believers should respond. We brought up an interesting conversation last week about men needing to be humble and stuff like that. Um, and some people think, oh, it's all just, you know, one-sided here in this first line we're about to talk about, it's all believers. Every one of us needs to perk up our ears and listen, because what Peter's giving us is something that we all need to understand because Peter, while speaking to a group of individuals who are going through some stuff, I think prophetically was speaking to all generations of Christians, because if we're truly walking in Christ, we're going to experience some things that he's talking about right here today. And, and just for those of you that, that uh, think it may be going this way, we're also not going on the fatalism. No. You know, where, like, you know, because all that leads into some really weird, crazy, where people start harming themselves mm. thinking that that is suffering, and that is not. That's that's a counterintuitive right. to the Lord. It's actually, it's actually under the influence of the demonic rather mm. than under the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And so we want to make sure that we, God has never called us to make, purposeful decisions that would bring harm to ourselves and then call that suffering for Jesus. Right. That just is not the way that the Lord has put that to us. Exactly. We're actually going to cover a little bit of that here in a little bit. Uh, but that being said, let's, let's jump into it, Pastor, with verse 8. All right, we're doing just verse 8? Yeah, because I, I want to break down some of the stuff because there's a lot of commandments I want to ask your opinions about okay. in this. All right, finally, all of you. Now, we've been talking to to, to husbands and wives Master servants, again, it's narrative. Mm-hmm. We broke down the chapters. It's all narrative. Right. So everyone that he has talked to up to this point, mm-hmm. now he brings it back to all of them. Right. Finally, all of you. Who are all of you? The sojourners and the pilgrims in the diaspora, these Jews who have accepted Christ. So all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Okay. I want to marinate with this section right here because we say these words, but the question is, what does this actually look like? He's asking them to do something very specific. So I like your opinion, sir. What does it mean to uh, to be in one of mind or to live in harmony, as my translation says? Yeah, this is in my, not my sweet spot, but this is red meat for me mm-hmm. because there's a difference between one mind and unity. We think that unity is what God is really after in us. We can be unified around a goal, but not be one in spirit. Mm-hmm. Even we go back to husband and wife. I can be in unity with Tanya about a goal. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're going to save this much money so we can do this project. 
that doesn't make it a spiritual goal. It right. doesn't mean we're doing it for the Lord. It doesn't, and it means that we could accomplish that and accomplish nothing in the spirit. Right. But being in one mind and one accord is a spiritual unity. Right. Football teams, athletic teams, every single week we can watch a game and they have unified around a goal. Right. But that doesn't mean they're one in spirit. Mm -hmm. And and we can go all the way back to the Tower of Babel. Yeah. They were unified. They were building something up to heaven to make a name for themselves. They were unified, and they were doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we talk about the crumbling, but they were doing it. Yeah. They were building something up to heaven. They were unified around a goal. Mm -hmm. And then when the Lord was like, they're making a name for themselves. Nope, I'm not in that. Then he confuses them mm -hmm. with all the different, you know, all the different languages, and now everything falls down. But you go to Acts chapter 2. Or Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, you have another group of people who are not gathered around a goal because they don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. Mm -hmm. They don't know what it's going to look like. Right. They, Jesus just said, go and wait, mm -hmm. and you're going to receive power from the one that I told you about, right. the baptizer of fire, the, the, the comforter, the counselor. You're going to, and it says that they were in that upper room in one mind and one accord in the Spirit, right. not around a goal but in the Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them and into them, then you see that one mind and one accord manifest itself in the explosive growth that happens in the early church. But how do we develop that? How do we uh, develop a relationship with other believers where we're in that one mind and that one of accord? Well, I think number one is that individually, you have to know the Lord. Mm -hmm. And you have to know what the Lord is saying and what the Lord is doing. you got to know the Word of God. Right. You have to be doing your spiritual sacrifices, mm -hmm. you know, which which even Peter talks about that, that as, uh, as believers, as uh, bond servants, as children of God, as newborn babes, as Christians, that we do our spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord. So, like Tanya and I are together. Well, we're not just unified around a goal. We're in one mind and one accord. Why? Because, man, I'm going after Jesus. Mm -hmm. Tanya's going after Jesus. We know what the Lord is doing in us individually, and thereby we know what the Lord, just speaking about husbands and wives, how can I be in one mind and one accord with my husband or wife? Be on fire for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Be going after Jesus. Right. And as you do together, then you will be in one mind and one accord on a church staff. We're all different people. Mm -hmm. We're in all different seasons of our lives. We're in different places. We're different personalities. Mm -hmm. If you put all of us in a room and said, hey, we're going to put these other people in the room, I doubt very seriously if anyone in their mind would ever choose the six or seven people that we have on our quote-unquote staff and go, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the group. we got 100 people in this room. I'm going to pick those six people, and they're going to be together. Mm -hmm. We would be the least of these. Mm -hmm. But because we are all going after the Lord Jesus ourselves, because we are all passionate about Jesus mm -hmm. and doing what the Lord has commanded us to do, thereby together mm -hmm. we can be in one mind and one accord. One of the things that kept the, in the, them in the wilderness is they weren't in one mind and one accord. Mm -hmm. They had unified to make a journey, right. but they weren't spiritually in one mind and one accord, and mm -hmm. we see what happens in that context. Yeah. I think a key aspect is that you keep saying the word together. They're together. They're together. We have to be together with other people. We can't isolate ourselves. We can't be a quote-unquote lone ranger Christian. And when we're together and we're doing, not just hanging out together, 
There's That's a difference. Right. That's right. But we're doing spiritual practices. We're praying together. We're worshiping together. We're breaking bread together. We're doing all these things. There is a harmony. There is a synergy that takes place. We talked about this in the intro to First Peter, that one of the detractions about the authorship of Peter is the fact that some of the vocabulary is very Pauline in nature. But And I brought this up so people forget who, um, who discipled Paul. Peter. It wasn't like Peter got or Paul got saved. All of a sudden, he's like, all right, you're an apostle. Go on and do his stuff. He sat under the disciples, the apostles. And in that, yeah, they developed the same language. That's right. They did, They were in one mind. They were one accord, and it came out. Again, you search. and I are different people. Yeah. But yet there are certain, there's certain language that you and I both use mm-hmm. that's not singular unto us, but because of our relationship. Mm-hmm. And it may be... There are things that I say that I would have never said 14 years ago, but it's been influenced by geek, geekdom, right? Right, <laughs> because that's 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 a people group that you reach, mm-hmm. that you reach after, and I listen to what you say, and I I read what you put out, and I see what you put out, and in that terminology begins to get in my spirit. Why? Because I'm just listening to it over and over again. No, because the spirit, right. the spirit that is there is what is going to transform our language. And I think so many times, and this may be off off track a little bit, but <laughs> so many times I think that we're trying to be so relevant with the world, we mm-hmm. stop using spiritual terminology. Mm-hmm. And when we stop using spiritual terminology, then the conversations we have cease to be spiritual. Mm. Because now we're trying to be more like the world yeah. so that they can understand. But Jesus had a lot to say about that. Yeah. Like... Like, where's the mystery? Mm-hmm. Where's the mystery in the kingdom? Exactly. Where's the where's the ellipsis at the end of our sentences with the world right. where they will actually ask questions? Right. So anyway, I know no, that was kind of off no, base a little bit. I like it. <laughs> so, but like this, I think this first aspect of living in harmony, of living in one mind accord, that builds onto the other things. When we are in one mind accord, then we can truly have sympathy for each other. Yep. Then we can truly love each other as brothers. Yep. Then we can have, uh, no, I think uh, your translation says tenderhearted mind says have com- we can be compassionate toward each other. And then we can truly be humble. It goes back to that being one mind and cord, which requires us to be together in a biblical fellowship with other people. Because not everybody was, not everybody is created with a tender heart. Not everyone is created with empathy for other people. Mm-hmm. But when you are but when you are one with the Lord, then there are aspects that supersede your personality sure. and become supernatural. Yeah. There are people who are naturally inclined to be introverts. Mm-hmm. There are other people who are naturally inclined to be extroverts. There are some people who are naturally inclined to be intro introverts yeah. <laughs> and extro extroverts. But a lot of times what we can see in that is, I'm going to pull myself away from everybody to protect myself, mm-hmm. right? Or that I won't be exposed. Extrovert is I'm going to expose myself first so nobody else can make fun of me, right? right? So herein we have the class clown who's actually making fun of themselves before anybody else can. All of it is defensive mode. All of it is protective mode. Right. But here Peter is saying when you're in one mind and one accord with the Lord, now it supersedes that. It supersedes your personality traits because he's not telling just a certain group of people be Mm tenderhearted. Again, it goes back to finally all of you be tenderhearted. 
be courteous. Verse 9 says, not returning evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Right. Which I, I it's just very flat out. He's like, look, don't, because again, he's the only people who are dealing with some stuff. They're dealing with uh, people attacking them, saying things, and you say, don't replay it with evil. It's so easy. It's so easy for us to get into our flesh and to say, what'd you say to me? And, or, you know, try to get payback for, for ill things being said and done to us. You say, no, don't do this because to this you were called. This is, we were called to this type of thing. We were to inherit this blessing, but that inheriting the blessing comes with responsibility. That responsibility is to bring blessings to others. Indeed. And then he goes on to quote the psalmist, um, verse 10, for he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Again, he's already talked to husbands about their prayers being hindered and their behavior. Mm -hmm. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, he's speaking to Jews Yes, they have accepted Christ, but they are Jews. Right. So this psalm would be very, very familiar to them in him quoting it, and they would understand exactly what he's saying based off of what he has said right before them. Exactly. And for those of you who are like, like well, how do you know it's a psalm? Well, Pastor and I have notes in our Bibles. They're, and for just hot tip for you guys, you probably have little things on the inside too with stuff that directs back. And this is, goes back to uh, Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16 for you guys. Uh, if I could summarize what this psalm is, it says basically turn away from evil speech and actions, speak good, do good, and God will see and hear you. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. It's not a complicated mystery. It's just the fact of life. <laughs> and he's not just saying do good, but he says his eyes are on the righteous. Mm. Like I can do something good and that doesn't make it holy. Mm -hmm. But if I am holy, mm -hmm. then the things that I begin to do are good. Right. Again, it's not just behavior, it's not behavior modification, <laughs> a better version of Scott. Right. It is more of Jesus and less Well, again, of me. all this is in context of all, going all the way back up for the Lord's sake. That's right, for the Lord's sake. All right, verse 13. How many verses are we going to read here, Dallas? We're going to do 13 and 14 here. Okay. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, that is such a key term right there. <laughs> For righteousness' sake, you are blessed, and do not be afraid of their threats and be troubled. So why, pastors, should believers, those who are following Christ, not be afraid of the threats of other individuals? Well, again, he, he, he gives us this intimation that we don't suffer just to suffer, mm -hmm. that we don't bring on suffering ourselves, but if we suffer for righteousness' sakes. Mm. Again, goes all the way back to really almost every chapter in here, Peter has told one people group that what they do, they need to do it as unto the Lord, basically. Right. They need to do it for the Lord, mm -hmm. for the Lord's name, for the Lord's sake. Um, and, and so here, when he says, but even if you, even if, he does put if. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't say, <laughs> oh, you're all going to suffer and you're all going to be like Job. You know, it's right. like, but if... You should suffer for righteousness' sake. You are blessed. And then he quotes uh, Isaiah chapter 8, and do not be afraid of the threats nor be troubled. Again, the moment Peter invokes Isaiah 8, they know exactly what he's talking about. They know the context of the one verse mm -hmm. that he says. 
and thereby it simply confirms and affirms what he's saying before that. Anytime in the New Testament, when the writer lays out, even Jesus himself, when the writer lays out an Old Testament passage, whatever they have said beforehand, mm -hmm. they are simply confirming it to an audience who knows what the law said. Exactly. And who knows what the Old Testament prophets say. Absolutely. Oh, man. All right, verse 15? Yes, sir. And how many verses? Uh, we're going to do 15 and 16 together. All right, great. And you guys are like, man, didn't they go over this beforehand? <laughs> we did, but fluid. We're fluid, man. We're it may change. <laughs> Dallas may look at me and go, hey, we're going off script. We're doing four <laughs> verses, all right? So verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you, now this one says, he doesn't say if, mm -hmm. he says when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Okay, so this is an interesting passage because this is one of those ones you hear people kind of throw out of, you know, like, well, I have to give an answer for Christ. Well, as if we're defending Christ. That's, yeah. that's not the, it's saying, it, defending your actions. When somebody asks you, hey, why do you do this? Why, pastor, do you go out and help out with um, a local ministry that's, you know, helping people on the side of the street called The Hub? Like, why, 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 why are you doing this? Why are you doing these things? Why are you roasting coffee and giving away to people? Right. And it's, that's what he's talking about, your good works, your actions. It's not talking about you defending faith. Je Jesus will defend himself. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And those that want to take that and go, oh, I'm a defender of the faith. Mm -hmm. I'm a defender of the faith. I'm a defender of the faith. Well, most of the people who have said that, it they do not look meek, mm -hmm. and they do not look like they have the fear of the Lord. Right. My translation says, uh, with gentleness and respect. Yeah. And a lot of times when, when I see, this is just me personally, when I see people who, quote, unquote, are defenders of the faith, very rarely do I ever see humility, mm -hmm. meekness, uh, an awe and a reverence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, being as loud as you can be, being as angry as you want to be. Being as mocking as you want to be. Being as mocking as you want to be, demeaning to other people. That does not make you a defender of the faith. Right. A lot of times it makes you not only look foolish, but it makes you a fool, mm -hmm. not for Christ. Yeah. Because when you defame the Lord Jesus, when you defame his name by the way that you treat other people, his people, God's mm -hmm. people, who God created in his own image, and we, w we would say, and I already know the defense that would come, <laughs> They're not God's people. They're not God's people. They never will be God's people. They're predestined to hell or whatever terminology it is. But they were created in the image of God according to Scripture. Mm -hmm. And Jesus did die on a cross mm -hmm. to, to, to offer salvation and redemption for all. Yeah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We all know that. And we can argue. I'm not going to argue, but people can argue certain verses what it means, predestined to this, loved this, hate that, loved this person, hated that person, which I believe also not only is very loosely translation, but I believe that people use those singular verses as a weapon to control people, not as a spiritual weapon to defeat the powers of enemy, mm -hmm. the powers of the enemy, the principalities 
and the powers of the air, the spiritual hosts of wickedness. But they use the scripture to hurt people mm-hmm. and demean people and control people and domineer over people. Mm-hmm. Just like husbands, wives. There have been men who have said, oh, I'm a man of God. And they've used that one passage of scripture about wives submitting to keep their wives underneath their thumb, to dominate them and control them, and they use the word of God as a weapon. Those people will stand before a righteous judge, and the judgment that comes to them will be severe. Yeah, I'm saying that truthfully. Yeah, It will be severe. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we want to make sure that, that, that we're saying clearly is that the Lord is my defender. I'm not the defender of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I, I, the Lord stands in front of me and defends me. Right. He is my rear guard. Right. I give an account. That's all I do. Right. I give an account. I, I am but a witness. I am but a voice crying in the midst of the wilderness. I can't help but say what I know, what I've seen, what I've experienced. I can't help but speak the name of Jesus because of who I've experienced, how I've experienced him, and what he has done in my life. Mm-hmm. And I am not a defender of the faith. Yeah. I'm not. And <laughs> people can let that fall where you want to make it fall. I believe I have 29 years, a 29-year track record mm-hmm. of the Lord saying, go, and I've tried to go and do the very best I could as anointed by the Holy Spirit. I've fallen, but I've gotten up. I've fallen seven times, and I've gotten up mm-hmm. and continued this journey. But I'm telling you, I do not have to defend the name of the Lord. Right. The, la- the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And I'm not standing up defending it. I'm running. The righteous run into it and right. are safe. That doesn't sound like Scott defending the Lord. Right. That sounds like the Lord defending Scott. Exactly. And so when we talk about this whole terminology of, you know, you got to give a defense. We're giving defense for, well, we do what we do. Right. Like, why do you do this? Because I love Jesus, man. And really what we're doing is not really giving a defense. We're giving an account. Mm, It's good. We're giving an account of why. Right. Why do you do that? Exactly. Well, I do it because it's good. Mm, that's actually not good enough. Right. I do it for the Lord. Right. I do it for the Lord's sake. Exactly. I do it to honor his name and glorify him. Then again, we do it with gentleness and respect. And Keep, a good conscience. Right. Keeping clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed. If we do this, we stand above board so that when the, the accusations come, people go, it's not quite accurate. And that's why we also can't do good just so somebody will be ashamed. Yeah. That's the wrong motive. Exactly. You, you're going to reap what you've sown. Mm-hmm. And so even that word ashamed, it is, it is, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Right. In his kindness is correction. Right. And so when he talks about that as we do the work of the Lord, that those who revile us and speak against us, they will be ashamed. Right. That shame doesn't come to 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 destroy them that shame comes to lead them to repentance exactly i want to real quick read this verse 17 it is better if it is god's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil he's telling these these readers look if you suffer for doing god's will that's great that's awesome but if you're suffering because you've done wrong because you've returned evil for evil. You've returned slander for slander. You have, instead of defending your actions with gentleness and respect, you've come at it very harshly and disrespectful. 
and then you're suffering for that, you brought it upon yourself. Yep. You're not suffering for Christ. You're suffering for your flesh. Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the thing here that people, we're, we do this, we're, we're dying to the flesh. We're living in the spirit for, for Christ's sake. You know, wives love your, your husbands. That's, a, that's killing your flesh. Husbands love your wives. That's killing the flesh. Um, slaves honoring their masters. It's killing the flesh. Masters, take care of, your, of those who serve you. That's killing the flesh. We are living in the spirit. But if you are suffering because of your flesh, that's on you. Yep. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype. That's a key word there. Uh, different translations use different words, but there's also an antitype, which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. All right, so this is a passage of passion I got into a conversation about. There's a few various, there's various ways that people have interpreted this. They have walked through this thing, but kind of where we've landed, uh, Pastor, is this conversation of, of, the analogy of Moses. What's happening here in this? I'm Moses. No, I'm apologize. Yeah. So in this in this passage, immediately when it says, "Okay, Jesus goes to preach," mm-hmm. the, how's the way that yours reads on that specific one right there, Dallas? Uh, it says, "For Christ, uh, sins. For Christ died for the sins once for all. Righteousness, uh, righteous bring to us um, through Him that He might also be." Um, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Yeah, so even in that right there, immediately it's like, okay, Jesus goes in. He's, again, there are many different, at least three, right. but Views more, of this passage. but more, that Jesus goes in and he preaches um, to the powers of quote-unquote hell, mm-hmm. right? So... But then it goes on to speak about Noah and overlays this analogy of that. Now, we know that in the Old Testament, a lot of the Old Testament patriarchs were types and shadows of Jesus. We Mm -hmm. know that Moses, we know that Joshua, Yeshua, Mm -hmm. we know that David was a type and a shadow of Jesus. Mm -hmm. We know that Noah was a type and a shadow of Jesus. We know the ark was a type and a shadow of the presence of God and the protection. We know that the pitch that was put on the door was a type and a shadow of the Holy Spirit, being sealed with the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. and being protected. Um, but, But so many times we want to take something and make it something very specific. It has to just make total sense to my own mind that when we talk about Jesus going to preach or declare, it wasn't to preach salvation to the demonic. It was to impending judgment. Mm-hmm. Like there, the angels cannot sing a song of redemption. The demons cannot sing a song of salvation. Mm-hmm. The impending nature of what Christ did on the cross and through the resurrection defeated death, hell, and the grave. Mm-hmm. Now, however you want to get there, you can make it whatever you want to make it <laughs> for Hollywood or whatever you want to do. Right. 
Jesus opened up the earth's crust and went to the inner core and found every demonic fallen angel that had fallen and Satan himself and had this wrestling match for 60 minutes and blah, 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 blah. Like you can make that whatever you want. But here's the bottom line. The cross of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. Right. Those things no longer have any authority or any victory over us who are in Christ Jesus. Right. I'm not going to speculate how it happened because how it happened really doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is the result. Right. And the result was I now have a mediator that I go to to come into relationship with the Father. Right. The one who created me in his own image, I have been giving mediation that my sins have been atoned for and the invitation has been given to me to come, to repent, Mm -hmm. right? To accept this gift that's been given to me. And then now my first action is to go through the resurrection. I die to myself and I come alive in Christ. Mm. And as I come in alive in Christ, the old man is dead and all things are created new. And the symbol is the symbolism of that in our current culture is water baptism, yeah. that old things are passed away, and behold, all things are new. What happened on the globe uh, during Noah's day? It was water. Everything was immersed in water. Well, what happened? Well, there were eight people, and those eight people started everything all over again, right. and all things became new. And God's promise was, I won't do this again. Right. And his promise was predicated on the fact he had already foretold that he was going to send another one. Yeah. And so when when we look at all these things, we get so caught up in the weeds and we get so caught up in intellectual conversations and those intellectual conversations are not after truth. Mm. They're after my truth. They're after me being right. They're they're after me being right in my little tribe. And my little tribe has to be right in everything. Here's what needs to be right. The motives of your heart the purity of your mind, and Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus. Yeah. What he did on the cross <laughs> and what he did through the resurrection. Right. And that is undisputable. Mm -hmm. That is undisputable. A little bit of a tangent, but <laughs> I just get, guys, I just get so weary of people who name themselves, who bear the name of Christ, mm -hmm. moving everything into a place that goes away from Christ and what he actually did. Yeah. Because so many rabbit holes are taken in the name of academia or intellectualism or right. theology that actually what they do is take you away from biblical theology. Yeah. And so um, I, I just, again... I have many views about this. <laughs> I have many views about it. Yeah. But to be honest, ultimately what it comes down to is, you know, well, Jesus went all the way back or it predated. And so he was preaching to the fallen angels or he was preaching to whomever. Mm -hmm. But ultimately what Peter is saying is not to get them caught up in all of that. Yeah. It's to get them back to the fact of that what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection Um fully paid for all of it. Right. And that death, hell, and the grave no longer has any kind of authority over them whatsoever. Absolutely. There was a lot that just took place here with this passage. And I know that a lot of people are like, well, where there could be like, 
I'm, I'm telling you right now, if you were to look up this passage, there are so many different conversations about it. There was a quote from Martin Luther who said that this passage is so great and so wide that he, that he struggles to understand what it was. And that's what we're talking to talk about kind of, I think at the beginning of the last episode, which there's the mystery of the scriptures. That's right. And there's and room for us to grow and we don't need to act like we just know everything. And most humble theologians will tell you they're not sure. Yeah, or that they at least are struggling with it. That's right. That's right. Because, again, the mind of that theologian goes to, I have to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't necessarily have to figure out how it happened, mm -hmm. but I do know the result. Yeah. And the result <laughs> was that there was an invitation given to me that I accepted, and because I accepted it, Christ was very gracious to take my filthy rags and give me a robe of righteousness That's right. and call me into a kingdom and call me into a relationship with my heavenly father who created me in his, his own image. And I'm not a spiritual orphan anymore, wandering mm. around, not knowing what I'm doing, hating the world, blaming everybody for my own faults, right. looking for affirmation and validation from everyone and everything. I don't have to do that. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm now a child of God, Word. by which by I can call out Abba Father now because my spirit bears witness with his spirit that I am a child of God. And that came through the cross, and it came through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So good. Well, guys, here's a second I'm going to ask Pastor to uh, let us know what his final thoughts on this passage was today. But I think I just did. Is that you? He's done. He's out the door. I think I just did, All man. right, cool. But we want to hear from you guys. What's <laughs> what's on your heart? What has the Lord spoken to you through this uh, conversation? Reach out to us, mediahub at tspreetreport.com. Check out our Facebook page, um, uh, Midweek Move. And do us a favor, share this out. Share this conversation out, the previous conversations out with your friends, your family, uh, those who you are like, hey, we need to take a step forward. We need to walk through the scriptures together. We need to be in one mind and one accord. And this is a great way to help you do that. My takeaway is really evaluating my life of this first portion in verse 8 and ask myself, am I, am I living in one mind and accord with, with the body? Am I living with sympathy and love for each other like brothers? Am I tenderhearted? Am I walking these things out? Great. If I am, great. If not, let's work on those things together. Yeah, and I agree with that. And let me just say, I do apologize a little bit because the one of the giftings that I have is teaching, and once it get once I once that starts going, I just um, because the not the lack of teaching, but the but the wealth of teaching that sometimes is is empty mm. at its core really frustrates me, mm -hmm. um, and and the oversimplification and the overcomplication of teaching drives me insane. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, one thing that we always want to communicate here, look, we only have a certain amount of time and we don't do a three hour podcast like some do mm -hmm. in these Bible study type things. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'll pull up a YouTube thing that you and I have talked about yeah. and I'll pull it up and it'll be like one thirty-seven, And I'm like, man, an hour 37, dude, I don't <laughs> think I can watch that. I'm going to have to take that in a little. Yeah. I don't do long podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So we don't, we don't necessarily want to get into that, but we also don't want to just go, Hey, here's something. Just think about it. We want you to let it sink in. We want you to intentionally make a move, mm -hmm. like get into it yourself. We don't want to end the conversation. We want to start the conversation. Right. And we want to start the ball rolling for you to be able to dig deeper in what the Lord wants to show you and how you can do these things that the Word of God instructs us to do. Absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, until next time, have a great week.